Hello, everybody. Welcome to Not My Forte with Joel and Ian. It is episode 10 of our first season, Ian Hears the Beatles, where I'm taking my friend and collaborator, Ian Zumbach, through the Beatles' entire body of work, and he's hearing all of it for the first time. This episode is the thrilling part two to the part one we put out last week on the Beatles' self-titled 1968 double LP, a.k.a. The White Album. If you've listened to that first part, you'll know that we left off at the point of Ian dropping on me the absolute bombshell that Why Don't We Do It In The Road is his least favorite Beatles song yet. Listen in now for the rest of that discussion as I try to talk some sense into him. As always, please listen along with us as we discuss this album. Today we'll be discussing the last couple songs on side two of the White Album and then the rest of the of the whole album, as well as tracks two through five from the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. Check us out on Facebook at Not My Forte with Joel and Ian and follow us on Instagram at Not My Forte Podcast. But for now, drop back into the middle of my shock and horror from the end of part one. Here is episode 10. Song. You're hold on. You're saying that the worst Beatles song you've heard so far is "Why Don't We Do It in the Road." Yes. Oh my god. I loathed it. Like I, I'm so surprised. I <laughs> and actually, I think there's another one like down the list too. I can't remember. Okay. I yeah, there are a couple the, other ones that I, I would expect. I didn't have the same reaction um, as I did to this one, but when I heard it, I just hated it. Like, hated it. Why don't we do it in the road? Why don't we do it in the road? Why don't we do it? Yeah, I just, I cannot stand it. I'm going to play the whole thing. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I can't, okay, it's not that I love this song. Yes. Because I don't love this song. But I can't imagine, I can't imagine you hating this song. Really? Why? Well, I think it sounds good. I think, like, it's it's fun. Like, it has a good, like, the, the piano and drum groove is, like, it's it's not, like, it's not bad. It has, like, an energy to it. I think it's funny. It's a, it's kind of a joke. Yeah. Here's here, okay. So I'm going to tell you what it's about. <laughs> yeah, please, please. In India, Paul saw two monkeys going at it in the middle of the road. <laughs> That's going, the whole thing. Okay, so going at it. <laughs> yeah. For younger listeners, or well, not for our younger listeners. <laughs> yeah, I said it intentionally that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, two monkeys were going at it in the middle of the road. We don't have to explain anything to the younger listeners right now, Ian. <laughs> that's not our responsibility. No, that's their parents. Yeah, he just saw, he was like, "Wow, that's crazy." And then he wrote he wrote this song from the perspective of a, of one of these monkeys. Oh my god. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> that is kind of hilarious, but I hate it. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I mean, w- that does make it that does make it a little bit more palatable. To yeah, because if it was like two adults, I think maybe that's why I loathed it because it was like so yeah brazen and gross to uh-huh. me. Like I don't know why. Like yeah. it sent a shiver up my spine. And I'm not a prude by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. I mean, I'm not having yeah. sex in the middle. Well, right. I mean, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Golly. Um, but, apparently, yeah. John was a little miffed that Paul did a song that was so John Lennon-esque. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, especially because he did it, like, Paul just recorded this with Ringo. And so, John was like, hey, if you're going to do something that I would do, might as well, like, have me play on it, you know? Right. Which I thought was hilarious because he's totally right. This is like, you'd expect John to do this and not Paul. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I do not dislike this song at that's all. Funny. I do get the fact Here's the deal. I was just taking apart, I was just kind of dismantling Ringo's song. So sorry, Ringo. I know you have one, and John and Paul have like 400 at this point, and right. I'm picking on yours. Right. But like, at least it's the, this, it's the same lyric the whole song, but at least it's a lyric. Why don't we do it in the road? Why do we, don't we do it in the road? Why don't we do it in the road? No one will be watching us. Why don't we do it in the road? Mm-hmm. At least it has the repetitive like humor for me, at least it like it makes sense from that. From that. But I, that's fine. I don't. I don't. I don't have a problem with you. Uh, with you hating it. I mean, I kind of do. But well, it reminded me of. I just. I. I remember seeing this interview with Dave Navarro years ago, where he was married <laughs> to Carmen Electra. Uh-huh. And the whole interview was about him talking about power couple, their public sex life, and it was okay. like, yeah, ah, please, this is so tired. Like, yeah, please yeah. Shut up. And yeah. and. This felt like that to me. Like, like even uh-huh. though I, I would not, I would not think Paul to be that kind of guy. No. actually, you know. So I knew, like, yeah, this isn't, Paul, Paul wouldn't do that. You know, he's a respectable, yeah, guy. You know, and I appreciate him. I can see where John would poke fun at it too. But I was like, sure. I don't know why this has to be on here. This is like, it's, well, of course. It's, no, I mean, again, it's half the songs and gross and half the songs of the album don't makes have me to be feel on gross. You know, so I, I think I hated it. for me, there's there's a level of artifice there. There's a level of he's saying, "Why don't we do it on the road?" That could mean anything. Yeah, you know. So there's a certain level of like, of kind of cheeky humor to it that sure. I think for me it doesn't cross into like being too lewd, mm-hmm. um, even though it's clearly it was inspired by Two exactly monkeys. that. Yeah. All right. Well, now for something completely different. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Wow. So it goes. So for you, it goes. Why don't we do it on the road? To I will. Dizzy Miss oh, Lizzie. Oh yeah. As Dizzy far as Miss on the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Right. For sure. Yep. Okay. Why, why don't we do it on the road? Is is there and then Dizzy Miss Lizzie? But uh, segues into I will. Yeah. Which I really love this song. Actually, it was, yeah. since early early in the Beatles catalog, they were writing so much about love and relationships. So they knew how to craft a meaningful love yeah. song, but that love was usually described in like teenage or right. love, right? Yeah. So this love that he's describing here is reserved for like your person, like yeah. your total ride or die. Yep. So I love that line where he's like, will I, will I wait a lonely lifetime? If you want me to, I will. I thought that was yeah. precious. And so yeah. for such a sweet song and personal and he- heartfelt, that informed me that I think he's singing this to Linda. Like yeah. Linda and him must be a thing by now. We're starting to develop this thing. So I yeah. did actually look into um, yeah. verifying the dates, and that's why I knew they got married in 1969 and they met in 1967. Yeah. So this happens right in the middle of that. So saying so much about that, I'd have to say Linda must have been just such a solid lady to 
capture yeah. Paul's affection the way that she did and their relationship seemed maybe that's why I hated that last song so much because in my mind <laughs> like Paul, Paul's Paul, Paul, kind of Paul and Linda wholesome. like wholesome and yeah. like this like this yeah. enduring eternal love for one another <laughs> right why don't do it in the right. room and so in the realm of love songs I, I think this one is so sincere I love the chord choices and, yeah. and how the end of the song that's resolves great. yeah I think this is one of my favorite songs on the album, actually. Yeah, I totally agree with you on, on all those points. I think, except for not liking, why don't we do on the road? Um, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I think that this, it is a mature love song, and yeah. it's it's one of his best love songs, I think. I agree. It totally, it, it's not, I love you, I can't wait, you know, I can't wait to get home to you. Do you like me? She loves you. It's not any of those things. There's so many little phrases that make you, yeah, you, you can see into their relationship mm. with this. And it feels like he really is writing about her. There's another one on the next album on Let It Be that uh, reminds me a lot of this too, which you, you'll I'm sure you'll pick up on. But it feel, feels very similar. And it's not romantic. Mm. It is in in a way. It's very romantic, but it's very. It's about this kind of friendship and companionship that's really sweet. It feels like an indie movie, yeah, rather than like a a romantic comedy, well, like or a something. real a real love, like an enduring love yeah. that 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 once the honeymoon is over with, yeah. like we are here for one another and you know, yeah. patiently enduring and and valuing each other. And I just thought it was it was yeah. a beautiful depiction of like a real. Enduring love. Yeah. For the things you do endear you to me, <laughs> you know yeah. I will. Yeah. 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 It's really sweet. What a sweet song. This was recorded on one day. Paul spent 67 takes oh, playing the song. He really wanted to get this one right. He did. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if John and Ringo were playing the entire time, but John is tapping on a piece of wood, which you can hear in the left speaker. I have. And then Ringo is playing cymbals and maracas. Feel the same. Love you forever and forever. Love you with all my heart. Love you whenever we're together. Love you when we're apart. And then almost 67 times. Wow. Yeah. September 16th, 1968. That's what they did that day. That day. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I think they nailed it. I wonder which take it was. Was it the 67th take? I don't know. That they may have been. Or it may have been, yeah, by the time they reached 67, they're like, gah. It's like the Stanley Kubrick One of those of, had uh, to have been good. <laughs> of take of, of <laughs> yeah. Beatles albums. Yeah. Yep. Wow. All right. Well, you have anything else about, about that one? No. I no. played this at a wedding one time. Oh, cool. Hopefully they're still together. They are. Okay, great. As far as I know. Man, how could they not be? Sign, like signed and sealed by this song. <laughs> All right, so the next song, Julia. This is. A, I have a prediction. Okay. I feel like this is gonna like maybe be your favorite song on the album. I, top three. I don't know if I if I picked a favorite. It's it's a top three. This one really hit me. Yeah. Like like okay. I, I felt this one. Yeah. Um. So obviously, anytime there's a name, or most of the time that there's a name. When you listen to the song, yeah, you can usually tell there's something in the DNA of the song that there's either this person is a significant person yeah. or this is just a character. So like earlier when you're talking about the dog, um, 
for Paul's dog that he wrote that song. Yeah. Um, that one, it didn't, it didn't resonate with it inside of me. Like right. I don't need to look at who this right. character is. Yeah, yeah. This one, when I listened to John's lyrics and listened to the song, I was like, there has to be some deep, deep significance here to this one. Yeah. And so I started checking into seeing if Julia was a daughter of John's. Um, John doesn't have daughters. It looks like, right. He has mm. a, two, two sons. Mm-hmm. And so I went on next to find out if Julia was a parent. It turned out that Julia was John's biological mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from what I could gather, his father and mother had a tumultuous relationship, which caused John to live with his aunt Mimi at the age of five. Yeah. Um, it seems like he had a relationship with his mother and saw her regularly um, and that she had influence over his musical development by teaching him to play the banjo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she also introduced him to Elvis. Oh, really? Yeah. That, I didn't find that. That's... Not not literally. She played him Elvis records. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's a great note. Um, and there's clearly more history there that kept them apart that I'd probably need you to fill the gaps in for me, but it appears yeah. that she died tragically in 1958, yeah. struck by an automobile while crossing the street, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with all that context in my brain, I went back and I listened again, and so... He's he's like remembering his mom, like how he remembers remembers her the aspects of her. I thought it was yeah, so yeah. beautiful yeah. that he's point he's picking out the things that he appreciated about her and loved about her. So so I got from it that yeah. she was like very free spirited and he has these poetic descriptions of yeah. like seashell eyes and a windy smile and hair of floating sky is shimmering. And it was beautiful and heartbreaking to see him give this insight. And also his confession at the top of the song in the lyric where he says, half of what I say is meaningless, <laughs> but I say it just to reach you, Julia. That was maybe the most, maybe, I don't know, because I haven't heard the rest of their catalog beyond this album, but that might be one of the most insightful things into what makes John tick. And a very honest lyric and profound thing to say that like my music is this thing that helps me feel yeah, close to you, and that's half the reason that I'm doing it. Yeah, and just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Um, and then there's another line where he says, "Where I cannot sing my heart, I can only speak my mind." He yeah. has this like self awareness that there's times where he's unable to allow himself to express things out of his heart, where there's yeah. like the pain of that, of the like the recognition that like I've lost her. Yeah. But I'm remembering her. I'm just. W- I'm going to ignore my heart and just speak out of my mind. It's such an honest and meaningful song. And I have to imagine that this is an effect of Epstein's passing kind Mm. of affecting him maybe subconsciously without knowing it because now he's grappling with mortality and uh, loss and loved ones. And so that brings that to the surface, you know, he's thinking about his mom. So, this song is, if you're going to listen to like five songs on the album, you have yeah. to listen to this song. Absolutely. And it, and it made me love John and appreciate John much more and actually makes me want to go back mm-hmm. and listen to his older songs now that I understand him better through this song. Right. Yeah, I think the also the the way that he recorded it too, he just did this like by himself. Mm. He went into the studio while no one else was there, I think. Mm. And I imagine he had someone else press record but like yeah 
It's just a beautiful. I think it is my favorite song on it. Like yeah. Now I'm hearing it for a third time. I think it. I mean, I think if you're looking at things, I don't want to say critically, but I think if you're looking at things in a holistic way, hmm. I think that's maybe his best song. I think it's his most meaningful. As he got older, as the Beatles aged, he lost so much meaning. So many of his songs ended up being these kind of meaningless things. And he was clearly just looking for something to write about. Hmm. And he couldn't, you know, benefit of Mr. Kite, Strawberry Fields. He, he would occasionally land on things like Strawberry Fields that felt like, oh, there's so much meaning. But I think that this is, I've said this before for different reasons, but I think this is John at his best it's when he's finding his missing childhood mm. or when he's finding stuff like like Strawberry Fields or this song where it feels like he had an arrested development in a way, uh, which had must have had to do with his, his mother passing when he was 17. And I think this, it could have been so much less beautiful, like, and it still would have had so much impact, but... Also, the chord, I mean, it just makes you want to cry. His chords are so John. So he's making this thing that's so him, and it's so intimate, the way that it's recorded. And yeah, those lyrics, they're some of the most kind of, they're so vulnerable. Hmm. And they're beautiful and poetic, but they're simple and they're and they're, they're meaningful. They're, he's not worried about what anyone is thinking of him, because this is for her, because this, you know, he wants to, it's like he wants to present her with something that is pure and real. There's another part of the song where he says something about the the ocean, the ocean lady, or or I yes. forget what the line is. Yeah. But that's Yoko. Her huh. name means like ocean woman or something like that okay. in Japanese. And um, in a way, it's almost like he's m- introducing her to his mom. That's almost oh, what it feels like. He's wow. like, Mom, I've found her. I found like my soulmate. You know, it almost. I don't know. That's how I feel. Oh, wow. It's almost how I'm kind of interpreting it, but. Yeah, it's just a profoundly personal, gut-wrenching song. Which you don't get from John No. Much, which makes it even more special. <laughs> you almost never sacred, do. sacred, really. I mean, of all songs, I think about Help. <laughs> right. right. Like, help right. is like a really, is a really personal song. And then we talked about the, the bridge from um, Getting Better, but like I, he talked about hitting women and coming to terms with his violence. And, you know, he's, there are little bits of it here and there where he's really, he's really open and vulnerable and yeah. And raw. Um, I have a couple of quotes. These are both, I think equally gut wrenching. He said, I lost her twice. Once as a five-year-old when I moved in with my auntie and once again, when she actually physically died, hmm. he held, he asked, um, he wasn't sure how to write this song. So he went to this, this Irish, um, songwriter Donovan, who we talked about before where he, he helped, um, write, a yellow submarine and he goes to him for a similar reason here he said this is a quote uh from i think donovan he said donovan you're the king of children's songs can you help me i want to write a song about the childhood that i never really had with my mother he asked me to help him with the images that he could use in lyrics for a song about this subject so i said well when you think of the song where do you imagine yourself and john said i'm at a beach and i'm holding hands with my mother and we're walking together and i helped him write a couple lines oh man <laughs> I know. Stab me in the heart. Man. I know. <laughs> but yeah, like that, that's how he helped him get there. And he's, and John was like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, I get it. That's, I can picture it now, you know? Yeah. Gosh, the power of music. 
I know. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that's his, I feel like that's kind of his yesterday. Yes, right? Where that's his, his kind of, his thing that you can't poke any holes in and you can't argue with just how incredibly powerful it is. Wow. Yeah. That whole, I mean, we were talking about how much, how much time went into mm. preparing for this episode. I mean, I've, we've, I had like six hours of like listening and note taking and that kind of literally, yeah. it was all worth it for this. I mean, it was all worth it, but yeah. it was all worth it particularly to get to this song. It's just, yes. Just awesome. To add a little bit of levity here, uh, Neil Aspinall, the, their road manager, he got married during this album and the Beatles gave him and his new wife a house as a wedding gift. Mm. That's really nice. That is really nice. <laughs> Imagine that. Wow. <laughs> Bunch of bunch of sweeties. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. <laughs> so side three, birthday. Birthday. How'd you feel about this? Um, well, when I listened to the first verse of the song, I was laughing out loud. Yeah. Actually, I really was. Um, I'm super familiar with the introduction to the song. So I was familiar with that. Um let me see. <laughs> what I had not noticed was the level of ridiculousness that's inherent in the song lyrics because yeah. it sings to me more like a Jack Black freestyle <laughs> than Paul McCartney yeah. crafting a song. You know, it's so super it's catchy so and memorable. True. It's my it's birthday so, too, yeah. Yeah, it's my birthday too, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so You're right, stupid. That's, it, that's absolutely something from School of Rock. Right. Yeah. And, but it's I, my birthday too. Can yeah. you play it for a second? Yeah. Actually, it's it's just so funny. This sh- should maybe go without saying, but they pretty much made these words up as they were recording this. That's what I figured. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm always surprised at how heavy this guitar sounds right here. Listen to this. Yeah. It sounds like the Clash or something. It does, you know? doesn't it? This part kind of goes off a little it bit. It does. I assume that's like a sped up piano, but look. Has this weird effect? I don't yeah. know what they're doing with that. I've always wondered what that piano is. And then this like Black Sabbath. There is some riff here. Yeah. What got into them to like? What's the story behind this? Well, <laughs> uh, it was Linda's birthday, Ian. Oh, really? <laughs> That's okay. What it was. This was six days before she moved. She was going to be there. She was coming, moving to London with her daughter, and so, and it was around her birthday. And so they were fooling around in the studio, John and Paul, and they were, or I, I guess, I think maybe everybody but George. George might have been there. I don't know. But um, I know Ringo played drums. Paul and John were like the two vocals there and playing guitar and stuff. <laughs> they were just making this up and having a good time. And I mean, it's... it's It, it comes across that way. It does. And like, it's it's great that to know that yeah like th- they could have fun together in this time where it seemed like they were creatively at odds you know that's There's so a- funny the Jack Black thing because it's you're true that's exactly what they were doing they were just like making up it's my birthday too yeah we're gonna have a good time like it doesn't it's completely unedited it doesn't make any sense that's no great no sense yeah um, but you know I'm a fan of stupid songs and it, but yeah. like and it's a good stupid song. It's a song. good stupid song. Yeah. Like I, I feel like dumb <laughs> songs have a place to exist and yeah, to be like, enjoyed. Like why don't we do it in the road? 
No. Okay. Not like that okay. One. Not like that okay. One. Not like I was one. just seeing if I could sneak more that like, in there. Okay. More like, more like Wonder Boy, you know, by Tenacious <laughs> D. Like, I you will can't say sing any that Tenacious song. D song. They're all like that. Well, they all, yeah, but like Wonder Boy, like, I'll sing that song. It's fun. It's I, stupid. I'll sing it's them dumb. all. <laughs> yeah. I, I, no, no disagreements there. See, this is how I feel about Why Don't We Do It On The Road, though, okay. where I'm like, it's a stupid, silly song, and but, I, but I'm, I'm, there, I'm there for it. Maybe if they freestyled Why Don't We Do It On The Road. Maybe he might have been. Maybe if he said, like, I saw a little monkey, you know, or like something goofy like that, then I would have laughed. But it wasn't like that. I feel icky I guarantee you, you wouldn't like it more if he <laughs> said, would. if he was talking about the monkey. If he did. If he said, I saw that monkey steal a purse and did it in the road. <laughs> With his other monkey friend. (laughs) Sounds awful. Ian, you're a good songwriter. and I'm just trying to like, just trying to see what (laughs) sticks against the wall. Clearly clearly Paul and I can't be good, good songwriting collaborators. I mean, you never know. Um, All right. Anything else to say about your, about birthday? No, just, just I'm into it. Nice. All right. I am too. It's very, I think about Obladi and Oblada and one more song that we're going to get to later um, that just makes me really happy mm-hmm. on this. Well, maybe a couple more that just make me really happy when I, when I hear him on this yeah, record. Yeah, it does, it does make me happy too, yeah. for sure. Speaking of uh, being happy, your blues. Yes, yeah, so happy. So, so happy. Okay. Yeah, I didn't like this. Maybe it's just the Beatles playing the blues or like a style of blues. It just doesn't grab me. Sure. Yeah. This sounds a lot to me like the dead weather. Oh yeah. I think that this really like the whole it's the way that they're playing, the tone of the guitar, and you've always talked about how Jack White is clearly a huge Beatles fan. Yeah, sure. And this it feels like half of the Dead Weather songs feel like they're trying to recreate this song. Mm, that makes sense. You know what? I'm gonna do something I haven't done before. I'm gonna reserve my notes on this one and just let this song be what it is. Cause, oh, because I feel like okay. I feel like I just don't want to poo-poo on on what's happening here, you know. So well, you can you can totally say what you want. I don't. I'm not gonna get butt hurt over this. Song. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, last night maybe it was just the way it hit me last night. But yeah. my note was the Beatles singing blues is about as enjoyable to me as Jack hammering through limestone to set a fence post, and is about as cool as an STD. <laughs> That's <laughs> just the way it hit my ears. Yeah. I don't know. That's and, great. And the fact, I, you know, there's something about the blues that it is called the blues for a reason, but mm-hmm. some of the blues are inferred somewhat, you know. Like, I guess so, yeah. So, I mean, you can get pretty literal on some of it, but yeah. it was such a full send when they started going to the suicide component to it. I was like... Feel so I feel like suicidal. The, yeah, I yeah. Like, I feel like they're kind of missing it. It's somewhere. too on the nose. It's too much. On I the get nose. it. Yeah, it's definitely John lamenting his wife Cynthia at the time she was suing him for divorce, which he didn't contest, and he wanted to be with Yoko. So I think this was at the height of that. Oh, he was, okay. So he was just on. I'll say this about it. I think it is. Inc- I think he's just he's in agony and mm. he's just screaming about it. And I think. There's only so much that I can, that I can dislike that. Yeah, you know, what? Now someone you put, who is put like that perspective makes makes he's it going totally through the worst song. thing in the world, and he's like, he want to die instead of actually 
killing it. himself. Right. Yeah, he's you know he's singing a song. He's singing the blues, which is there are a lot of early you know a lot of blues lyrics that are kind of like that. So how much yeah. did Cynthia come away with? Oh, I have no idea. Must have been a hefty. I bet it. I bet song. it was a lot. Yeah. The, I think the most interesting thing about this for me, other than the dead weather thing, is um, the band. They wanted to kind of recreate the cavern vibe from their from like Liverpool and their early days. Yeah. So they crowded into like this big closet, like a microphone locker. Oh, and, wow. and they all recorded it. So they like they like pushed their amps. They like faced their amps out towards the walls, and they were like shut themselves in there and they recorded it in there with just John on the microphone. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, well then, all this... Okay, yeah. I can get on board with yeah. this song now. Okay. I mean, sometimes sometimes we have these moments where you like... Yeah. That happened with Strawberry Fields, where I come yeah. over come over to your side. So I, I, well, I, I get on board with this one And now. I think songs like this, it's easy to hear it and it to bring you down and to have a reaction. That happens to me a lot as well. It happens to me a lot with hip-hop, hmm. too, where I hear a song and I'm like, it's really negative or it's like, feels kind of just... I don't I don't like that you know, that, that sentiment. Mm. And then I'll think about it more. I'll hear, or someone will explain it to me or, or whatever. And I'll live with it more. And I'll realize, well, like Kendrick Lamar, great example. Like, uh, especially I think off of his to pimp a butterfly record, there are a couple of songs on there where I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't sound, or, or good kid, Mad City. Some some of his lyrics, I'm just like, oh, it doesn't seem like a great guy. I don't know. Mm. But the more I listen to it, the more I I kind of realize he's just he's doing this. He's he's taking these negative thoughts and these negative experiences, and he's putting them down on his records, and he's he's putting them out in the open, and mm. he's getting his demons out in that way. And like I said, there's only so like. I can't fault someone for that. Sure. And I think there are some artists do it more than others, but I think there are some artists that are so good at doing it and do it so often that we don't even think about it. Mm. I know that for me, I, I know where you're coming from, where I hear it and I'm like, I just don't appreciate this. I think it's too much. I think it's it's too um, over the top. The Smiths or Morrissey oh, are like that's that a for good me. Point. Yeah, yeah. And I listen okay. to it and I'm like, <sighs> I get it. You know, you're mopey. No one likes you. No one loves you. You want to die, all this stuff. And the more you try to understand it, if you make some effort to understand it, though, you come away and you're like, no, he's, it's, there's actually a real power in that, mm -hmm. in what he's kind of claiming and how he's, he's kind of turning, he's kind of spinning his sorrow into gold into something that is meaningful and is clearly meaningful for, for, meaningful for a ton of people. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel that way about this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've won me over. What you said at the beginning of the, series or uh, of, of this podcast mm. there's going to be times where you're going to argue some points and see if you could win me over and you just yeah. did that so woo woo this is an album where I need all the wins I can get <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> alright Mother Nature's Son Mother Nature's Son okay uh, 30 seconds in I, I love this song yeah. for sure um, in I fact, didn't have like any notes on this song no yeah and it doesn't mean that I didn't love it I just I have nothing to say about it yeah I mean it's it's <laughs> To me, actually, it it is one song I listened to that we were talking about earlier about learning songs. How yeah. you're teaching a lot of kids Blackbird. Yeah. This is a song I actually probably yeah. would like to sit down and like learn how to play. Absolutely, because I think it's really interesting the movement of it. Paul's vocal performance on this is beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah, it's like very it's, pure. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Feels a little over the hills and far away. There. It does a little bit, the, doesn't it? The guitar yeah. chords. I do notice there's a few times on this that some. 
stuff feels a little bit Zeppelin-y. Yeah. You know, like even that last song, Your Blues, yeah, feels yeah. a little bit that way. These, these horns. Yes. Genius. Genius. And the tuba. Who would have thought to include that on this album? And it's beautiful. It's perfect. And then it's already great, and then you get to this. You know how I love a slow burn. Yeah. Yes. Here we are. The stomp comes yes. in. Insanely catchy little doo-doo mm-hmm. like lick. The song was built to to get to me. This yes, song was built was. for me to love it. You, you and you and me both, brother. Yeah. Love that song. Yeah, me too. It's a, it's a perfect song in a way. Um okay. Everyone has something to hide except for me and my monkey. I didn't even know what to say about this song, so can you just give me your notes on this one? <laughs> Is it about the monkeys in the previous song? <laughs> Is this about literal monkeys in India? I don't think so. I'm kind of grooving a little bit over here, though. I just didn't know what to take away from it. I don't think there are a lot of big takeaways. Well, wait a minute. Maybe it is about um, why don't we do it in the street or in the road? Because clearly the monkey's not hiding anything. Hey, this song rocks. It's a guitar. Listen to the right, right channel. I mean, that's... Yeah, uh... I think it's a great song uh, as far as just like the dynamics of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's put together really well. It's really it's got it's like it's intense and then it and then it ramps up a little bit mm-hmm. and then it and it stops with the boom boom boom. This is about the the Maharishi. This is actually so we talked about how like it had ended on a very poor note. This this meditation trip. Yes. This is seems to be. Looking at it in kind of a, of a more positive way, uh, it includes a lot of the Maharishi's favorite sayings. He would say, uh, he's quoted as saying, like a lot of his lines, he would say, Come on, it's such a joy, take it easy. These are things that he would say to them as he was like kind of uh, coaching them in the to TM. The, okay. So that's interesting. That is interesting. Especially with how it ended. Um, the, I don't know why he chose Monkey. I think it's Yoko. It seems like he said it's about him and Yoko, basically. But the the idea is everyone else feels overly critical and guarded, while you and your person are feel open and like you have nothing to hide. So like everyone that and in that way, it's kind of a genius little phrase. Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey, except for the monkey part. I don't get that. Yeah. But like to say that every if that is how it can feel. If you have your person or if you have a, a, a friend, it feels like everybody else is hiding something or everyone else is guarded. But you with that person are not guarded. You feel like you can be completely open and you feel like you mm. um you don't have anything to hide. And that feels like that's it it's that's what it's about. And that's definitely tied to the transcendental meditation. You know, it feels like it's, those are kind of both coming from the same place of having peace with yourself and being open and honest and not having anything to hide. So um, it feels like it's kind of a celebration of that, of maybe a breakthrough that he had or just how he feels with her. So there's quite a bit of meaning in that song. Then. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, John, he either means nothing or he means, or means it all. Right. <laughs> yeah. So this, this maybe is his most personal, is this most personal yeah. Um, personally open album? I would say so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There may be one or two that I'm forgetting okay. from the next couple, but yeah. Okay, so the next song is 
Sexy, Sexy Sadie. Sadie. It reminded me of when we saw the Avett Brothers live. This this yeah. is what the sound sounds like, like as a live band with a drummer and a keys guy. Right. Like the whole, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. I told you there was a put a pin in put a pin in the dog thing. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I have no idea why I had this thought. <laughs> it occurred to me I was listening to this song, but I was thinking in my mind like, what if Sexy Sadie isn't a human but like a Maltese or like a Pomeranian? <laughs> and this is a song that encapsulates the spirit and day to day life of a small dog, and it's the soundtrack. <laughs> That's awesome. So when you keep that thought in mind. <laughs> And read the lyrics or listen to the lyrics is totally applicable to a sassy little dog, right? <laughs> sassy little dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's interesting. What what are the lyrics? Uh let me let me just read them. Yeah. Sexy Sadie, what have you done? You made a fool of everyone. You made a fool of everyone. Sexy Sadie, ooh, what have you done? Sexy Sadie, you broke the rules. You laid it down for all to see. You laid it down for all to see. Uh, one sunny day, the world was waiting for a lover. She came along to turn on everyone. Sexy Sadie, the greatest of them all. Sexy Sadie, how did you know? The world was waiting just for you. The world was waiting just for you. It's a total dog's life. How did you know you'll get yours yet? However big you think you are. However big you think you are. Uh, oh, okay. We gave her everything we owned just to sit at her table. Just a smile would lighten everything. Sexy Sadie, the greatest of them all. (laughs) Maybe it just made for more interesting listen for me on this song. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it hit me that way, but it just... I love that. I think that's really interesting. This song is also about um, (laughs) the the Maharishi. Okay. (laughs) This is about the negative element. Oh, This used to... So he changed it at George's request. It was going to be, instead of Sexy Sadie, it was going to be Maharishi. Oh, really? So it's... Again, at the time, they believed that he was trying to like make the moves on one of the ladies kind of in their party. And so what have you done? You made a fool of everyone. You broke the rules. You laid it down for all to see. Uh, you'll get yours yet. We gave her everything we own just to sit at her table, like they said at his table, mm. just a smile would lighten everything. So it was this very sarcastic kind of, mm. I think, song about him. And uh, he's still very clearly was wasn't over it yet or mm. still felt a lot of negative feelings towards he I think he they left feeling very bamboozled like they had come all this way and taken all this time and given him such a place in their lives and then they felt like he had thrown that all away and mm. acted like a total perv mm. that's cool which I think is yeah. about as interesting as, as being about a dog <laughs> I've never felt like this is a great song. Yeah, know? it's not. It's, it's not one of those great. ones that, like, if you cut it to two discs, it would have been, or to two sides, it, it would have been probably cut. Right. I agree. <laughs> but this next one wouldn't be. It's funny how we keep on saying, like, th- th- that song would be cut, but then it's followed up by a song that definitely would not be. What did you think when you first heard this? Oh, man, it's- it's the birth of everything I love about music, really. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 
I saw him play this live. Did you really? There's so much raw energy, the screaming, the yeah. power. Oh, man. I so, love this. One of the things I told you about White Album was that you would get to hear how Paul was so good at being quiet and then so good at being loud. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. And so you get Blackbird, you get I Will, and you get this song. Yeah. Um, this song has one of the my favorite stories of any Beatles song. Okay. You ready? I think so, yeah. Yeah. The Who had come out with their song... Uh, I could see for miles. Do you know the song? Yes. I could see for miles and miles. And there was a review out in some uh, publication, and Paul read it, and it said, "To no one really knows what it was because he kind of says it in his own in his in, own way. In his own way, but he said basically." This review is like, this is like the dirtiest, heaviest, hard, hardest hitting thing we've ever heard. The Who are masters of hard rock. And this is like, this is the, this is the proof that they're the best. And Paul was like, oh man, I can't wait to hear this song. So he goes and picks up the single and he plays it and he's like, I could do that. He's like, that's not heavy. You want to see heavy? So that's why he did this song. Amazing. He was like, he was disappointed, <laughs> which if you listen to that record, I went and listened to it. It's like, one of the things about it is that the vocals are like super, super happy hot so like the track kind of has no energy i think mm -hmm. but that's a mixed thing um it is way less intense than this the, yeah. the who song but yeah he was he basically just was like i can get louder and dirtier than that yeah and so this song helter skelter is like a spiral slide right i was going to mention that so, yeah okay and so people in the uk would have known that because right. it was a, it was an english term right uh, people in the U.S. had no idea what he's talking about, right? But it's that's what it is. And so, I, on um, when we saw him, I saw him in Boston, and I think it was 2007 was when I saw him play. They had put, to put a uh, a camera on the front of a roller coaster, like right and round right like above the tracks, and so they played that on like the big screen <laughs> yeah. behind them. So <laughs> as they're playing that song, you just saw it like going like <laughs> over through all these loops and stuff, right? Uh, and it was awesome. They were his band's great, and they just rocked. They it. played it. It was awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that was going to lead me to my other point. I mean, this song yeah. is so stinking great. I loved yeah. it so much, and so <laughs> grateful because I mean, without this, I mean, you know how near and dear the hardcore genre yeah. is to me. And yeah. you know, without this song, I don't think we would have gotten from punk to maybe hardcore, not. You know, this is the. I mean, this we, is the heaviest song they ever did, and. And, and I love it. And it stands up against heaviness of yeah. Black Sabbath. It stands you know? up against heavy now. Yeah, Are it does, kidding? actually. I mean, this is... <laughs> no, 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 no. Like I mean, that riff? It has that level of like raw energy that like we're talking about idols. Like, yeah. It has like that energy. Yes. Raw yes. power. It's awesome. I love everything about it. But on a thematic, uh, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the about the British meaning of the word. Yeah. Because I obviously... With the name association, you have to kind of look into 
all that the yeah. hijacking of this work this yeah name, yeah w- with regards to the manson, manson family yeah. and so when i read that um read that the, it was actually a the british meaning was a slide but that the american meaning is like chaos that <laughs> it seemed like you know in the eyes of the general public not only at the time of the Manson murders, but like following the Manson murders that people regarded him as this like evil genius that manipulated right. people and yeah, orchestrated got people his to do crimes, crazy things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my perspective, he's unintelligent dummy. Like, you, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> that like you <laughs> absolutely didn't know that it was a slide, you know, you like took this word yeah. and you're like, Oh, it's chaos, you know, and you're going to seed, you know, chaos and yep. racial tension. Yeah, and all this try other to stoke crap. a racial war and and kill people in power. Yeah. So I had to laugh out loud that like people that revere him as like this like evil genius, oh, yeah. like and are these like Manson groupies? Like, no, actually, he's an idiot and and <laughs> should be regarded as no. an idiot. As soon as I started kind of reading these stories, I I felt that way where I'm like, this guy like. I mean, this isn't a podcast. There's probably a lot of podcasts about Charles Manson. Right. <laughs> People don't need to come here for hot, t- hot takes about him. But, like, yeah, I've always felt the same way, especially just looking at all the things that he interpreted from this album. And to, to make a bigger point, like, we sometimes we talk about what it's like to be a songwriter and how, like what people take out of your music is so often not what you put in your music. And that's great and that's fine. But I think, I mean, Manson is maybe one of the greatest examples of the pitfalls of uh, giving giving things too much meaning or reading into into lyrics more than you should be, mm. and how so often people just they they find all this meaning and all these codes and and hidden messages in people's lyrics and and then you find out that it's just it's literally nothing like this song has nothing to do with the lyrics it's just the lyrics are kind of are secondary to the music. Absolutely here. Mm. And it's not that way with all music, but you got to understand that when you're listening, what was it last, uh, last episode? It was this song where blue Jay way, blue Jay way. Yes. And yes. you and Frankie both thought, man, it's a really like depressing song and I actually feel uncomfortable listening to it. Cause he seems like he's maybe on the brink of suicide here, you know? And then to find out, no, that's a literal song. He was just sitting around waiting for his friends to pick him up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to go to dinner <laughs> And like, that's the kind of thing that fascinates me that like, cause I've done that too. We all have where we've read into something and we were like, Oh, is it this? Is it this? Then you find that it's something completely different. And so just recognizing that like you can interact with music however you want, but as soon as you start to bank on your interpretation being the way that they intended it and put any importance on that, that's when I think you got to pump the brakes mm. and turn around and, and just enjoy the music for what it is to you and leave it at that and don't don't worry about if they ever meant anything cuz this is a great song yeah and it has had this stigma sure ever since then it, virtually since it was released uh that w- that with the Manson murders and like it doesn't deserve that Paul doesn't no, deserve that definitely not yeah. i'm sure that the beatles probably rebut rebutted like any kind of yeah um responsibility or anything right like like well they had uh, to several times with this album with uh, the because of manson because he it was all through this album he thought he was getting all these messages you know hmm. yeah um he also paul also said that the song was a response to critics who kept saying that he only wrote sentimental ballads and being he, he was the soppy one 
of the band. Wow. Which I also kind of love. But he was just like, he was like, listen, okay, let's just put it to rest. Like, that's not all I can do. I can do I can do other things too if I want to, you know. What a statement. Oh, the initial take of this was 30 minutes long. It's not the take that they used, but they played the song for 30 minutes. There's an earlier version of it. Um, they redid it like this. And then I love how it fades out and it comes back in. The saxophone sound at the end. Do you remember this? Here it's um Yes. Is that Ringo? Yeah. Yeah. So Ringo screams, I've got blisters on me fingers, which is one of my favorite things ever. (laughs) And then uh, that's just John. He just had like the mouthpiece of a saxophone. He was just like, just like blown in it. So Ringo was like, I'm done with these takes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I, I bet. I mean, he's playing the heck out of those drums. He was. Yeah. That's so much harder and heavier than they normally play. But they could do it. They could. They sold it. Amazing. So the next song is Long, Long, Long. Long, Long, Long. Um, let me see here. My reaction to this was that um, it sort of feels like like the plane is starting to descend and like land on this album, at least in my yeah. feeling of, mm-hmm. as I'm listening this to this. This is the last track of side three. Okay. Um, I didn't have a whole lot to say. It didn't feel like a super necessary song. It wasn't, it just didn't feel memorable to me. Really, no, per same. Every time I listen to this album, I have to kind of rehear this song. Okay. I forget that it's on here every time. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I suppose we could just probably move on to revolution number one, or unless yeah. you have something to say. Uh, all, what I did have on it is that uh, the song, it's talking to a you, uh, and it feels like it's a girl, but it is it is God that he's singing to. Hmm. And thematically, it seems like a precursor to My Sweet Lord, one of oh, his okay. kind of biggest. Oh, so this is George. Biggest. Yes, this is George. Oh, okay. There are so many like seeds through this album that feel like it's really pointing towards what he would do post Beatles and on their last album. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, Revolution One. Revolution. So so I'm assuming they called it Revolution One because this was like the first iteration of what John wanted to do. Yes. With the song? Well, I think they needed a distinction between because they had already released that single of the faster version. Right. Yeah. Okay. And we heard for listeners if you didn't hear this already, we we did cover this in a previous episode one of the previous episodes the faster version the b-side to hey jude right yeah and so you could probably get some context there but um do you mind just giving a brief summary of what the context was for for that yeah john really believed in this song this was actually the first song that they started working on before any of the other beatles were there he started to work on this song after they got back from India. Oh, okay. And uh, he really believed in this song. He wanted it so bad. He wanted it to be their next single. The other guys really didn't feel that way. And he kept pushing for it. And they finally said, well, can we play it faster at least? Because it just doesn't feel like it's going to go with anything. Like it's mm-hmm. this, it's this small, I mean, sorry, it's this slow moving like R&B ballad. 
And so they did a, a much faster version of it. Uh, which, which is the better version. I think so, opinion. yeah. It, yeah, at least it has energy. Yeah, so that was the B-side to Hey Jude. And now we have this one. So this was like the original version that, that they were working on first as, as they were working on this album. Which they had the barbershop, like quartet, like elements to it. Yeah, which yeah, the, was kind the, of like a plot, do, uh, plot twist yeah. for me when I heard that. I, like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I've never loved this. In my like research on this, I found a couple different people saying basically the same thing, which is that it's not, I think he wanted it to be like a revolutionary anthem. And instead it feels like a pop culture figure giving into the pressure to signal his involvement with like the anti-war movement. Oh, okay. So it feels like, and this is according to some people that were close to him, it feels like he really wanted to like make a political song and to say, hey, this is this is me. I'm part of this movement. And I would say honestly, this is what the this song is a good example of why I'd, I think his post Beatles stuff really doesn't do it for me because his post Beatles stuff is a lot like this song. Mm. And the lyrics are just like when you think of like protest songs in the late '60s, you think of this, and the lyrics are just like, "Man, we just want peace." Uh, you know, you say you want a revolution. Well, everybody wants to change the world. It's not really, it's not saying much of any anything at all. Just, it's not sharing a worldview. Right. It's just saying revolution, right? <laughs> and I know that he had, he had a lot of things to say, but he didn't really put them into this song. It felt like this was just, it felt like a PR thing. Mm. A lot like All You Need Is Love, which we talked about last we episode. We did talk about that. And it feels like, again, if you, but if your message is All You Need Is Love, who does that really reach, right? Like whose mind does that really change? That's kind of how I felt about this song where I'm like, I get what you're saying. It just feels, it feels like it's, it doesn't even feel political. It just feels like, well, maybe it does. It feels political for being political's sake. Right. There isn't really a point of view that's expressed in this song. It feels very thin in a sense. Yeah. 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 All you need is love is actually, I think has more meat on the bones. Mm-hmm you know, than this song. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel about this. And I agree that I feel like if it, if you speed it up, like they did for that single, like then it has at least something that's a little more catchy, something sure. that like makes you tap your foot a little bit. Yes. Very true. <laughs> it's also on the other side of Hey Jude. So right. that's, oh, you know, that's, that's hard tough, to <laughs> tough act to follow right yeah. there. So um, that he could have totally put this on there. <laughs> it wouldn't have made a difference. Right. Yeah. Um, so honey pie is next. Yeah. Not wild honey pie. No honey pie itself. Yeah. Um, that's funny because when I was, there's an album called, uh, letters to my sweetheart, the drunk, which was like, um, a collection of songs by Jeff Buckley that were sort of like demos or recordings that they were working on that was released after he died. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so really no follow up to grace officially was supposed to come out but this had like okay. a lot of content of like demos and things and there were a lot of things on that that felt like they weren't ever really intended to be heard by the general public yeah 
And I and when I was listening to this song and some of the things that Paul is doing vocally, I mean, obviously he approved it being heard by the general public, but, <laughs> You'd but think? to me, yeah. I felt like, ah, this doesn't feel like it's supposed to be on here. Like we're never ever supposed to hear it. It just sounds like he's being yeah. like silly in, like, in this like intimate setting with somebody who's only supposed to hear, like Linda maybe only supposed to hear it. I don't think it sounds, it doesn't sound unfinished to me. No, I, I, there's one part of it that felt funny or silly. Okay. It's not this, because like this was like, oh, okay. This feels like interested. a Tom Waits song. Yeah, right. This is what I say. <laughs> this actually sounds a lot like a Tom Waits it song. It does. Like this whole part, I was like, oh, yeah, I liked this part. Yeah. There's the orchestra's there's cool. There's something that changes. Yeah, the big band. Oh, I know what part you're talking about. Yeah? So it's the vocal here. I like that. This, like yeah. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like a demo. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the rest of it's, the rest of it's very produced and very... Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why that part stuck out. Maybe it was just because it was like almost midnight last night when I heard this. Well, and too. also I think, yeah, it, it contrasts so much. The rest of it's so orchestrated and... And executed, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. You're right. Yeah, I, uh, I, this is another one for his dad. I feel like it's yeah. It's like I feel like now this is kind of like if somebody had I don't know the time how the timeline works out, but again, it's it's like an older style song. It would be like if somebody wrote like a grunge song, mm. and like if there was a I can't even complete the analogy but it's like if there was somebody doing modern pop and they kept putting like these grunge songs on it sure and you'd be like listen dude like maybe one <laughs> right but like this is not like now this is a pop for. record right you know this is like i don't know but at the same time this is a massive release Album. with tons of songs so it's like there's room for it if you're gonna have four sides so sure yeah. sure next one is savoy truffle mm-hmm uh, my first note is what is going on? Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. I, so with due respect to John, I feel like I've heard this song and style recycled at least for the second time on this album. Cause I feel like glass onion was yeah, the yeah, much yeah. better version of this song. Right. Well, and with due respect yeah. to George, this is his song. It's George. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well then George is flattering John, I guess in the style, <laughs> but it's definitely much less interesting. And, and so, yeah, I don't know. I felt like this one could have been left on a cutting room floor, personally. I think so. I think this is okay. Yeah, I think especially with these, with the background vocals and the and the saxophones. But I I feel like the chorus does something really cool. Right here. I will say that this goes on for a while. Like yeah. it does feel like once you've heard the chorus for the first time, you've kind of heard the whole thing. I think the most interesting thing about this is the subject matter. Eric Clapton loved chocolate. And this was a song that George wrote basically saying if he kept eating it, he was going to lose his teeth. Really? Yeah. That's hilarious. That's what, If you listen to the line, it's just talking about desserts. It's talking about candies. But you'll have to have them all pulled out. Oh. 
after the Savoy truffle, which was one of these chocolates. That's funny. So that's yeah, good. that's the <laughs> that's the that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Boy, they were really, really reaching for content. I feel like it, you know, yeah. writing this. I mean, I, the, it, yeah, it almost feels like the benefit of Mr. Kite for this album, where you're just like, okay, is this as good as <laughs> the subject matter for your other songs? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cry Baby Cry was next, and I just said C notes on Savoy Truffle. I felt like <laughs> it could have been left left off. Yeah, these last few feel rough, um, right? George Martin is on harmonium on this one. Okay. You know, I own a harmonium, and so I'm always pointing out when that happens. Um, <laughs> but I thought that was cool. Um, this is one of my favorite vocal performances of John. Okay. He sings it. This really gentle way. There's the harmonium. I feel like he never sang like this again. Yes, yeah, true. Feels modern. Feels like something that you hear now. It's true. But I've always, I've always liked that. There's not, there's not a lot else. I, uh, it does have good dynamics. There's yeah. one thing I'll say that that's definitely not the same thing with the Savoy Truffle. I think if this song was on a different album with or even less, a different side, yeah, it might have yeah. hit me different. But I felt so fatigued and listened by the yeah. end, by these last songs that it it's just so much maybe, music. Like, grouped it into like yeah. oh, this is forgettable. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, which brings us to probably the least divisive song on this entire thing, Revolution Nine. Oh man. Um, so did you listen to this song? Not all the way through. No, <laughs> okay. no, I made it through about a minute and a half. A and, minute and a half. Yeah, which is a lot. Wow. Actually. But okay. If, I, I felt like. Uh, so, are you familiar with the band The Melvins? Yeah. Okay. Or like some of Mike Patton's like Ipecac releases, mm -hmm. not his personally, but some of the stuff he releases on his label, which sometimes they just do things in the sole purposes to annoy the listener. Yeah. That's exactly what I felt like I was hearing. Here. Okay. Like just like trying to annoy the listener. Cause there's just a, a combination of all these different clips and things. Yeah. And it was just made no sense to me, but maybe you have some information that will help me appreciate it. I could. Yeah. I might. Let's hear. This was originally going to be... This was the first song they started to work on, on because it's part of Revolution. So they, the idea was that there would be Revolution, and then as soon as that song ended, you'd have like a few minutes of this kind of sound collage okay. thing that they kind of taped together. Which does seem more palatable to have it like on the end of another song or something like that. I would encourage you to, to listen to this whole thing. Okay. Just to know if you know what's coming... To just give it a try. Okay. It's eight and a half minutes. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, but it feels kind of like meditation where it's like, can you sit with yourself for eight and a half minutes? If you can do that, you can sit with this for, sit with this for eight and a okay. half minutes. Okay. All right. Which makes me feel like maybe there's something a little meta there with their, their TM stuff. EMI had an extensive tape library of a ton of different like recordings. So there's classical music and there's people talking and all this stuff. And so the tapes, they like picked by basically everyone but Paul. Paul was out of the country at the beginning of this. He was in America. So uh, John, Yoko, John, or, and George and Ringo all picked these different pieces of tape and they put them all together. And uh, I guess all three Abbey Road studios, there were three, you know, like 
main rooms with tape machines had to be combined to make this. So they basically had to like find a way to like run the tape from the other studios into one. And then John used the mixing desk in there to like make, it's basically just, it's you're hearing him moving faders and pan knobs and stuff. So you're hearing, so if you can think of it in that way, like, okay, John has all these, sound these different clips coming in or these different loops and he's choosing when they enter and where they are and and that kind of thing I think it's interesting. I think it it's the kind of thing where it's like, give it a shot. Give it like, it's obviously not like a song, like we think of a song. But some things that come in, like there's this number nine thing. And that's why it's called it probably, but this guy going number nine, number nine. And he, it's, he says it a hundred times through the song. But it's almost like, it feels like a classical piece of music or like a chorus. Huh. Where like there's like a refrain where oh and then that comes back in, so the way I interpret it, it, which could be completely different than how they meant, is it's like a deconstruction of music where you have you're listening to these different things. You're listening to like there's an orchestra there. It's not playing what the next orchestra is playing, but like you're hearing this part of the song and then this part of the song and then this part of the song, just like you would listening to a classical piece or a pop song, but mm. instead it's just noise or it's noise. somebody talking and stuff. Mm. Um, so I think that's interesting. I, I, I can, I, I would, I'm not going to lie and say that it's like as fun to listen to as any other song on this record, sure, but sure. I do, I think there's something there and I think it's worth kind of trying to open, open your brain for a funny note I found about this is that Paul, when he came back and he found that they had done this, he was a bit sore because he had been doing this kind of thing for a while at home with all these different tape, like collage, like he would he would take all these different sound sources and make these like these soundscapes, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, just kind of like John was angry that he had done. Why don't we do it on the road? Because it was such a John thing. Paul was like, "I've been, you're gonna get credit." You know, he's like, "John's gonna get credit for doing this thing," <laughs> and I've been doing this whole time. Oh wow! So it felt like. Yeah, he was a little disappointed to come back and find out they had been doing this. And he's like, well, now everyone's going to be talking about how how John did this. John and Yoko, and I, you know, I, I've been doing this. Um, yeah, I give That's it a, an interesting give a shot. Fact, right? I and, will. But the main thing that gets me there is understanding, like, you're hearing John at the mixing desk. Grabbing things. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, well, then in that case, I'll And that I'll way there's again. meaning to it because sure. you can feel his, you can kind of feel his effect on it. I think it's cool. Okay. Well, that that's cool. I don't expect I'll give it a shot. anyone else to agree with me, but if this is if me pleading with you is a way, listeners. No, I, I no think, I'm talking to listeners. Oh, now. Okay, I'm saying okay, okay. you listening. I get it. If you're driving, if you're driving the kids to work and you're listening to this album, and you feel free to skip Revolution Nine. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So good night is good night. It's the last last song on here. Yep. Well. um... 
originally I had in my notes that I didn't think the song fit the album, but during the course of our conversation, I think it actually does fit the album. Yeah. Now, now, now that we're um, through it, mm. um, is this Ringo singing mm-hmm. on this? Okay. Um, this what I what I was just really taken aback with. This is I, I'm not like crazy about the song, but the sound and the performance of the orchestra and the room that it was recorded in yeah. is absolutely stunning. Yeah. Actually, it's, like it's really nice. Is it actually? Yeah. this song is it i don't know i mean well john wrote it okay john wrote the song i would assume that george martin arranged it for the orchestra Mm. i didn't find anything about that but i agree that the orchestra sounds really great yeah i would encourage listeners to definitely listen to this one on headphones if possible john wrote this for his son julian as just a, a lullaby and he was singing it in the studio and he hated how he sounded he thought he sounded too harsh and grading. So he asked Ringo if he would sing it instead. Wow. And so like Ringo, I guess he listened to like the scratch vocal that John had put down and had to try it many times to like match his inflections and timing and stuff. But he ended up doing it, which is like super sweet in the end that like, first of all, that John asked him to do it, but yeah. then, but that Ringo got to do this thing is like, is nice. I agree. And then the last note I have is that Julian Lennon didn't know it was about him until many years later. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Was his dad still alive? That's, no, I don't oh, think so. That's that's a bummer. Yeah. but kind of beautiful too. Yeah. Wow. Who knows? Well, that's the White Album, folks. That's the White Album. I hate to do this to you, but we have four songs. We do, and we'll go through this quickly because honestly, none of these are as. I have to admit, like I had very minimal takeaways because I felt like there was such a chunk of information and absorption of music on the white album that when i got to this we should make it a thing let's just do it let's just go through it super fast okay and we'll compare notes okay all right here we go here we go all right so here are tracks two through five from yellow submarine we don't have a lot of thoughts and we're it's getting late and so we we these kind of pale in comparison to the white album so we're just going to go through them ready yes only a Northern Song. Only a Northern Song. John Song, right? George. <laughs> George, okay. Uh, sleepy Vocal. Yep. Uh, was the organ recorded in a room with mics, or was it like direct into the board? I assume it was mic'd. It was like a Leslie Cabinet yeah, or something. It sounds, yeah, it sounds awesome. The saxophones are cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole lot coming at you at once. I thought the yeah. the bass guitar performance, there's so much movement, really shows off Paul's stuff. I think it's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, it wasn't necessarily enjoyable for me upon first hearing, but once I heard the next song, I think I might understand what's going on with these sets of songs. Yeah, these were written, these were, you had mentioned on White Album, Contractual Obligation. Uh-huh. That's what's happening with these. Oh, really? So they 
this was a soundtrack album. So the first, there were a couple, few songs on here on on side one that we had already heard. That's why we're not going over them. And the second half was George Martin's score for Mm -hmm. the movie Yellow Submarine, this animated movie. Uh, Yeah, this song is about George's dissatisfaction with his pub deal. There were shareholders in the company that were making more off his songs than he was. And Mm so it was called Northern Songs Limited. That was their publishing house at the time so it's called only a northern song and it's kind of like a sardonic kind oh of wow being like this is only a northern song um this kind of reminds me of like martin when marvin gaye's um oh Mar- yeah marvin gaye had to like record an album for his wife like as a uh, divorce settlement <laughs> yeah. or something like that and yeah it was yeah like, i can't remember what it's called something like here my dear i think is what the yeah. name of the album actually <laughs> right is. right yeah yeah <laughs> wow yeah i remember that okay all together now all together now well um, did George Martin suggest, my only takeaway was that George Martin suggested the Beatles try to put out a children's album. It's like something that would like appeal <laughs> to kids. Well, and Yellow Submarine audience. was the first track. This feels a lot like Yellow Submarine. Yeah. And it, for that, for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember. I've always remembered this song. I don't know why. Just the all together now, all together now. Like it's just funny. Yeah, and it's fine. It's probably better than a couple songs on the White Album. Sure, it's actually, that's true. I love the speed up. I love how they it just gradually gets faster and faster. I as agree they go. with that. Uh, hey Bulldog. Hey Bulldog. Uh, that intro had a lot of attitude. Good mm-hmm. riff. Um, yeah. Baseline is really making rounds in that because like his movement is all over the place on it again, which is like, yeah. in a good way. Yeah. In a great way actually. I thought it was a fun song with the dog barking at the end. Yep. Not my favorite song in the Beatles catalog, but no. it's 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 all right. Yeah. Uh, this was called Hey Bullfrog until Paul made John laugh by barking like a dog during the end of the recording, which is, I think, later takes or oh. we hear here. So then they renamed it Hey Bulldog instead. Um, Lee guitar is John here, not George. Hmm. And then it's all too much. All too much. Well, guitar feedback at the beginning, cool. Classic. Um, funny, we were talking about The Who on the White Album mm. a little bit because I felt like The Who was probably deeply influenced by this tune. I can uh, see that. Uh, and when I start, when it started, I was into it, but by, by the end, not as much because it seemed so repetitive. Yeah, um, yeah. But it makes sense if, if these are just contractual obligations to do this and they're not going to put a whole lot of... Yep effort into it. This was the most interesting one of these for me. I I hadn't heard this in a long time. This is George. And again, the B3 organ is like the main instrument here. So he's really using that a lot, uh, which I don't blame him because B3 organ is amazing. It's about taking acid. 
it's all too much. He's he's talking about oh. how like so much input, so much. He's going into his, you know, he's he's going his into senses. a bad trip. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I think it seems, it does seem like this is the point where he's kind of coming off of. He doesn't want to be doing it as much. He's mm-hmm. like he's saying that he'd rather be doing this through meditation and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, this feels like the first step towards his solo stuff. This I've said that about all of his songs today, but this really does feel like this drum groove. There's like a lot of percussion and it's just this kind of perpetual motion thing. And every, everything's like cooking like a, like a train just chugging along. I think it, it, it definitely makes me think of where he's going. Um, I can see a lot of fingerprints there. If this was mixed better, it would probably be awesome. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah. I agree with you about it that. It sounds pretty bad. It, do, it does. Yeah. But there's components there that are very, very interesting. Yeah. I just kind of checked out after mm-hmm. like three minutes because I felt like it was like you were saying. It's just like mm-hmm. this repetitive yeah. thing. Yeah, and if it's a repetitive thing but it really slams, then... Then it's cool. Then, yeah, I could right. listen to the whole thing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right, That's man. It. Well, I don't know how I'm going to edit this, but uh, this was by far our longest episode. Yeah, we started it like three and a half, four hours ago, right? <laughs> I don't know. This will be a lot. It'll yeah. be a lot of audio. Yeah. Um, thank you all for listening. Yes. Uh, to whatever, however, this is formatted when it comes out. Any last thoughts, takeaways from the the white the, album, the Beatles? The album. <laughs> yes. The Beatles. Yes. Um, well, I would just say, I know last week I said I, I became a Paul guy during the listening of, of Hey Jude. Yeah. Um, but there's something that really tugged on my heart in regards to John yeah. that I now am confused. I feel like I've, <laughs> like, uh, there's two homes, you know, two parents and I'm yeah. caught in the middle of it. And yeah, there's yeah. things I love about both of them. Sure. So, um, yeah, I would say go listen to, go listen to the album. It is an experience. It definitely is an experience. Yeah. Um, it's worth a listen for sure. And it does have some of my favorite material of all their catalog on it for sure. Yeah. I think I like this one more every time I hear it. Yeah. I think every time. I think I, it started off on maybe the bottom of my list when I was younger. And now there's some of the most interesting and real songs on here. So yeah. I like it a lot. Agreed. All right. Well, hopefully this doesn't, uh, hopefully this didn't disappoint. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed this as much as we did. And uh, next we will be tackling Let It Be mm-hmm. and Get Back the documentary so uh we will be doing it in that order so we'll be listening to the album which i have on vinyl which i'm excited to listen to great this next i love it album on that so we'll listen to let it be the album and then we're gonna watch get back the documentary and that'll be our next episode all right hope to see you all then see you bye